Well, good morning, everyone. Bonjour. Are there, are there any French speakers here? Oui. oui. Merveilleux. Merveilleux. All right, you're going to come and we're going to turn you into a missionary before the end of the sermon. <laughs> um, what an honor it is to be here this morning. Uh, it's not often that we get invited to minister in a mega church. Um, <laughs> bear in mind where we live, this very much would be the makings of a mega church. Um, I don't know, how many of you all were uh, here a few years ago prior to COVID when we came and we got to give a little update? So just as a little uh, background, again, um, Quebec is a province of 8 million or so uh, francophone French speakers uh, in, in Canada. It is the French-speaking province in Canada. And uh, less than 1% of those 8 million people are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we've been laboring there since 2006 in a little town of 12,000 called La Chute, Quebec. And um, um, when we got there in 2006, um, there were probably in our church less than 20, and we comprised eight of those. <laughs> so we're kind of like small, and, and we're still small to this day. Um, I'd love to tell you how in the 16 years that we've been there that we've just seen phenomenal church growth and all of these wonderful things. Um, that's, that's just not what we've seen. Um, I'm not one that is easily discouraged. Um, so I am, we are still laboring, believing, and really having confidence in the Lord and what he says in his word. Not that we're sufficient to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of Christ. Um, just to give you a little update, though, on what's been going on in the ministry um, as of recent. Um, COVID came, and God was merciful to us as, as a congregation. We kind of just did what we needed to do and got through that. Um, and the Lord has placed us in a really, um, a really providential situation in which um, our congregation, our church building where we are, is just a stone's throw away from the rehabilitation center, the halfway house. And there was a woman that had a heart for the people that were there. And for years and years, she's been seeking God about what to do and really of her own initiative. She reached out to this halfway house. Doors have opened um, such that if you come and pull up to our church on Sunday morning and you see a group of people smoking out front, it's like, this is a good Sunday. <laughs> we have visitors there. But, uh, but it's really kind of like the Wild West because we have these people, again, people in Quebec, they have no Christian background. Um, and we bring these people into the congregation and their understanding of community meetings uh, revolves around Alcoholics Anonymous or uh, Narcotics Anonymous. So they're totally comfortable in this group setting and they might pipe up at sometimes inappropriate times. Um, they'll, they'll leave midway through to take another smoke break and come back. But it's a wonderful opportunity to, sh this is why we went, to share the gospel with these people uh, that have not even heard the gospel, not even heard. And so week by week, we're able to share. We never know how many might come. Uh, but also during the week, we've started, uh, it's called, is it Celebrate Recovery? I think that's what it's called in English, I forget, in, in, in French, it's another name. But every Tuesday night, 
Um, we have a celebrate recovery meeting, and people come, and they listen, and they sometimes don't come back, but then they come back, and um, we sow into their lives. And during the week, honey, what, what's going on during the week with the ladies that are being ministered to? Yeah. So uh, it's really um, uh, a situation where, uh, as a missionary, you just avail yourself to whatever it is that the Lord presents before you, and you sow into their lives. We have prayer meetings going on every day of the week. Our, our 6 o'clock prayer meeting has tripled. It's tripled. It's gone from 1 to 3. And um, I'm thrilled about that. I really am, though, because this is the first time in 16 years when I've been away when that 6 o'clock prayer meeting has, like, continued. That's something. Um, so we thank the Lord for that. And we're really looking for God uh, to bear fruit um, in our little community. So please uh, remember us in your prayers. So before we look to the Word of God, I thought about this morning what was going on, and, and this is a really interesting situation for me. There's three things this morning that, um, that are very unusual. First, I'm preaching in English. I'm very grateful for that. Um, but two things have never happened before, and I'm just, we'll see how it works. Number one, I'm preaching in cowboy boots. I've never worn cowboy boots in my life, but my son gave me a pair of cowboy boots, so I said, why not, uh, why not wear them today? I was inspired by one of the Switzer's daughters when I saw her in her boots. I said, I'm going to put on my cowboy boots today. Um, <clears throat> we'll see how that goes. Second thing, I've never preached from an electronic device ever, but I, I, I didn't print out um, my message, and so we're going to give this thing a go. So I've got like backups. I've got like triple backups. I've got it on my cell phone. I said, honey, put it on your, your MacBook, and if something doesn't go right, we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, okay. So pray that this electronic venture goes well. Um, so we're going to look this morning um, at some verses in the Gospel of John chapter 6. And I, I, I'll just tell you at the, the, the outset that um, COVID really, I think all of us, we, we availed ourselves and learned that uh, we are most fortunate and, and blessed in the Western world. We're just one click away from uh, some of the finest um, expository messages, commentaries that have been given uh, in 2,000 years. And so if my treatment of John 6 uh, is not exactly uh, exegetical this morning in the sense of going line by line. I do have a purpose. I, I'm speaking more topically. I want to encourage you to use that click to go and read some of the fine commentaries uh, on John chapter 6. But let's open this morning, and we're going to start uh, in verse 1 of John chapter 6, and then we'll uh, pause and then move a little bit deeper into the chapter. So I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Um, and we'll begin here in verse 1. <clears throat> After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now jump over to verse 48, and we'll take 48 probably to the end of the chapter. A little bit of reading here to do. Verse 48, chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning those knew who those were that did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our Master and our Savior, we worship you this morning. We honor your name. It's in your name alone that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, Lord God, it's our desire to honor you in this day and age in which we live. 
where evil, Lord, surrounds us, where evil, evil is uh, outside and, and sometimes even within, Lord, amongst your people. Now, Lord, this morning I ask, Jesus, that your spirit would guide me in the words that I share and that, Lord, our hearts would be uh, receptive of what it is that you desire to minister to each of us that we may glorify you in this day, in this time in which we live. That's our desire, Lord Jesus. And we thank you in advance for what you will do. Amen. Amen. Before uh, diving in, 1 Peter 2, around verse 17, there's just this little phrase. Peter says, love the brotherhood. And I just want to say what a blessing it is to be here with you all this morning. I love you. I don't know you. If I saw you 20 minutes after we leave here, I wouldn't even probably know that I saw you. But I love the body of Christ. And whether I'm in Quebec amongst people that have an entirely different background than, than I do, or whether I'm in Washington, D.C., where I grew up, in a community that I'm very familiar with, or here in Florida, I, I love the body of Christ. And I hope that you love the body of Christ as well. Okay, now, <clears throat> when we get to chapter 6, um, Incredible things have taken place already. Miracles have taken place. Jesus has turned the water into wine. The sick have been healed. He's healed an official son that was at the point of death. Jesus has declared himself to be the Messiah, the one prophesied about thousands of years before, the anointed one. And in addition, uh, by calling God his father, Jesus has claimed equality with God. And that stirred up the pot a little bit. And the nature of what Jesus has done up until this point is gained him both followers, worshipers, and critics. There were people at this point in his ministry that were ready to kill him in spite of the wonderful things that he had done. But the beginning of chapter 6 finds his popularity still on the increase. And why wouldn't it? We see in verse 2 that it's written, and a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And then we jump down to verse 11, and it says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, these are the kinds of things that, like, build your popularity, healing sick people and, 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 and feeding the multitudes. Um, and, you know, there are things that Jesus did and that he does still to this day that have virtual, universal approval. You're going to be hard-pressed, now they're out there, but you're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody that has a problem with Jesus healing the sick or feeding the multitude, be it Muslim, Buddhist, even hu humanists, um, because there is such a thing as an entry-level Jesus. There's a point at which it seems that an aspect of Jesus has an appeal to almost anybody. Listen to these two quotes. My feelings as a Christian 
points me to my Lord and Savior as a fighter. In boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passage which tells us how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers and adders. Now, what good Christian brother said that? It wasn't. It was Hitler. That's a quote from Hitler. What about this quote? Then in the footsteps of the prophets, we sent Jesus, son of Mary, confirming the Torah, revealed before him, and we gave him the gospel containing guidance and light and confirming what was revealed in the Torah, a guide and a lesson to the God-fearing. Now, where did that come from? The Quran. You see, the problem, the problem is that the Jesus that Hitler and the Quran are referring to doesn't exist. He simply doesn't exist. Neither does the, the New Age Jesus. Neither does the Black Liberation Jesus. Neither, neither does any other Jesus who is at odds with the Jesus found in the pages of Scripture. It seems sometimes to me that the age in which we live, even amongst those professing to be believers, that we've taken our theological cues instead of from the Scripture from that, that Burger King slogan from when I was a kid, used to say what? Have it your way. Anybody remember that? Have it your way. But we can't have Jesus our way. In our text, the beginning of chapter 6, we see that Jesus has done things that resonate. They appeal. He's done things that appeal to the masses. But as we move further into chapter 6, we run into a little problem. Let's go to verse 35. Verse 35, it says the following. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's jump down to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? You see, at the end of the day, the entry-level Jesus reduces him to someone that we can get a thorough hold of. It's a Jesus that meets our need. He's a Jesus that doesn't ask much, if anything, of us. And we're able to comprehend everything he says with little effort. But the problem is that the true Jesus, the Jesus we find in the scriptures, said things that require nothing less than the divine assistance of the Holy Spirit if we're to understand rightly what he said. The problem is that the true Jesus, while concerned about our needs, has interests that go beyond our needs. I think Job found that out. The problem is that, that the Jesus of the Scriptures, he says things that we just don't immediately understand. Now, in 397, at the Council of Carthage, the 27 books of the New Testament were acknowledged. We've, we have 1,600 years that have passed since then, but believers are still grappling 
uh, with understanding some things that Jesus said. And if you're not, I want to tell you I am. He says some things that we don't immediately understand. However, I'd say that a far greater problem is that we don't like the things that Jesus says that are plainly understood. I think that's a greater problem. I'll repeat it. A greater problem than not understanding what Jesus has said is that we don't like the things that he said that we plainly understand. Jesus says things that more than likely will disturb you at some point. He says things that disturb your financial security. I think the rich young ruler found that out. He was a follower of Jesus as long as it pertained to religious obligations. But when asked essentially to place his financial well-being in the hands of Jesus, something he clearly understood, it caused a little bit of a problem. I love how we were singing hymns this morning. I love the old hymns of the church. And uh, one hymn that we sing from time to time, all that fills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me and the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. Do you know that hymn? Now, what if the rich young ruler somehow was forced to sing this hymn, but he had to fill in what really thrilled his soul? It would have been something like, all that thrills my soul are my possessions. Yeah? He is more than life to me and the fairest of 10,000 in my stuff I see. Because there's something that we can say what we want to say, but then there's the reality. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And do you know, chapel brothers and sisters, that Jesus can say the same thing to you today, literally, that he said to the rich young ruler some 2,000 years ago. He really can. He can communicate to, to that to you in a clear way, that he really would want you to sell your possessions, give to the poor, and follow him. I, I, I'm not saying he is going to, but he can do it. I was talking with Kevin this week, and we just C.T. Studd came up. And do you know C.T. Studd, the great missionary to China and Africa? He, he, was the, he was the man of the day in England, a cricketer. And uh, he came from a wealthy family. And at the age of 25, he was to inherit all of, of the wealth of the family. But he decided, even before knowing the amount, he was going to give it away. And C.T. Studd, he said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. So Jesus says things that disturb our, our financial security. He also says things that will disturb, listen, our cultural comforts or our cultural norms. So that's what happened in Acts chapter 10, isn't it? I don't know how often you think about it, but from Acts 1 to Acts 10, the gospel is going forward. 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. Things are going along, but it's just to the Jews. So we get to Acts chapter 10, and the Lord has a little conversation via vision uh, uh, with Peter. 
And he basically says, okay, now's the time to go to the Gentiles. And there's a little bit of a hiccup. Have you ever been in a car and there's something going on and just... This is what essentially is going on in Peter after that vision when he finds out that he has to go to the house of Cornelius because Cornelius is a Gentile. And this is totally upsetting the cultural comforts of Peter. But God says things that upset our cultural comforts and norms. And the vision has to come not just once, but twice, if I'm not mistaken, for Peter to get the message. But Jesus is going to say things, chapel, that disturb our cultural comforts and our norms. The Jesus of the scripture does. The entry-level Jesus, he doesn't mess with that. Let's look at verse 55, just moving on a little bit. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Jumping to verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Jesus says things that disturb our cultural comforts and norms. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'd, I'd be remiss if I don't say one word uh, at least to you about this. Now, we've been in Quebec since 2016 um, in the French world. I've not lived through the turmoil of the past 16 years that you all have lived through. Brad, Richard, that you all have had to shepherd God's people through. This is something that I read the headlines uh, but it's not our experience. So I've not lived through hands up, don't shoot. Uh, I've not lived through Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, uh, January 6th, Proud Boys, all this stuff. I've not lived through it, but I see the headlines. And, and the thing that my heart says, oh, God's people, oh, God's people. I, I get what the non-believer, how they get pulled uh, uh, because it's cultural, but I, I'm saying, oh, God's people. Can we see what our Lord Jesus says to, to us about the body of Christ? That's why I said, love the brotherhood. I love the body of Christ wherever I am. But if, if I were, could be like the Protestant Pope and mandate that three verses would be memorized by all Protestants, it would probably be 1 John 4, 19 through 21. It says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says he loves God, but does not love his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. That'd be a wonderful verse if all believers, you know, in the United States at this point in time, when there's so much turmoil, racial turmoil, if we just memorize that verse and meditated on it and lived it out oh my goodness, what a light we would be. Well, that's what Jesus says. He, he said it. In his word, he said it. And he says these things that disturb our cultural comforts. Now we have to decide, will I accept the word and will I live with it? Will I live it out? Or will I stay with my entry-level Jesus? 
There's an entry-level Jesus that fits in with, with the major cultures in America. You know, we can worship with people that look like us, that sing like us, that dress like us, etc. Again, that's an, an entry-level Jesus, and, and there's nothing problematic. That's just kind of how it works out. Um, but it's problematic if you're disturbed or if you take offense were a group of fellow believers in Christ that looked different, sang different, dressed differently, if all of a sudden they became a part of your congregation, that disturbed you, that would be problematic. I'm a missionary. For 16 years, again, I've served among people nothing in common at all except Jesus Christ. But that's good enough. Is that good enough for you? Is that good enough? Sit next to somebody, doesn't listen to the same Christian music that you do, doesn't make reference to the same Christian preachers, but you know they love Jesus. Is that good enough for you to have that bond that Christ wants us to have? Jesus says things that will disturb our politics. He'll say things that disturb our family life. He's a savior, but he's a savior that disturbs us. He disturbs us in the areas that are being sanctified. He disturbs us in the areas that are being conformed to his image. In verse 66, we read, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said, Well, wait, let's stop there, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, it doesn't say that they stopped believing in Jesus, but that they turned back and stopped walking with him. I won't make too much of a big deal about that, but a question that I think is worth examining is this. How many professing believers, Christians, are there those who can put a checkbox on all our doctrinal boxes that mark us as genuine believers. And these are important things, justification by faith, the inspiration of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the essentials. But because of their offense, it's something that Jesus has clearly said, they no longer walk with him. I mean, you could be here this morning, physically present, checking the checkbox on all those essentials, but you're not walking with Jesus anymore because you've taken offense at something he said. You, 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 you've got an issue with that. And again, you, you can check all those boxes that need to be checked, but you're not walking with him. But chapel, we need to understand that the 21st century Western culture is offended with any Jesus that goes beyond the entry-level Jesus. 21st century Western culture, doesn't matter if it's in Europe, Canada, here. 21st Western, uh, Western culture is offended with any Jesus that goes beyond the entry-level Jesus. And you know what? We're not going back. We're not going back to a time when the general culture applauds the Jesus of the Scriptures. It's not happening. The question is, will we as the church hold to the true Jesus? That's the question. Culture can do whatever. But people are offended because Jesus really does speak to the roles assigned to men and women 
People are offended because Jesus defines in no uncertain terms gender and the boundaries of, of sexual expression. The culture is offended at that. And because of that, professing believers are no longer walking with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? It's as though Jesus is saying, I've satisfied the physical hunger of thousands. I've healed multitudes of the sick. I've done all the things you like. You've enjoyed the show, but I'm more than a free lunch in your personal doctor. It's as though Jesus says to us in 2023, in the United States, American Christians, Bible-believing Christians, you've ridden the wave of history that has dealt kindly with you up until now. But now that my words are offensive, now that your friends, ooh, they're on a different side of the page, now that your coworkers and family members, they're on a different side of the page, it's as though Jesus is saying to us Bible-believing Christians, do you want to go away as well? Verse 68, <clears throat> Simon Peter answered him, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, the only ones that are not going to go away are those that understand above all else that apart from Jesus, they're dead men walking, facing an eternity of God's wrath. That's reality. The only people who do not and will not go away from Christ, when he speaks those hard things to you, and he's going to speak those hard things to you, because, see, Jesus is not just our homeboy. Jesus is not just our whipping boy. He is the Lord of all. And if you confess him as Lord, you must submit to him as Lord. But the only people who do not go away are those that understand above all else that apart from Christ, they're dead men walking, facing an eternity of God's wrath. John 3.36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life because what? God's wrath remains on him. When you understand that your very life is dependent upon Jesus Christ and him alone, his atoning work on the cross on your behalf, whether you perfectly understand what he said or not, whether you like what he said or not, it just doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere because what? He has the words of eternal life. And that's the thing that you know that you need more than anything. Is that you today? Do you realize that above all else, you need the words of eternal life that Jesus Christ offers. 
Doesn't matter if your family forsakes you. Doesn't matter if your political party forsakes you. Doesn't matter if your anything forsakes you. You need the words of eternal life that Jesus Christ offers, and you're going to take the hit should it come and when it comes. Why? Because he has the words of eternal life, and you know, you know you need those words above anything else. Ephesians 2, Paul says this, starting out chapter 1, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful desire, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Because of his great love towards us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It's by grace you've been saved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, and the gospel transcends any cultural trends that are going on. Listen, I grew up in a family that uh, were true followers of Jesus Christ. Both of my grandfathers they led congregations, plural, and organizations. Um, but I had one granddad at one side of my family was staunchly Democratic. Then I had other side of the family, granddad staunchly Republican. Just checking R, boom, doesn't matter who it is. My dad used to joke, just R, boom, done. But, but, but here's, here's my point that I, I want to bring out to you. You know, Jesus, he, he, the, 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 in my culture, the black democratic Jesus, he just doesn't exist. Most African Americans are, are Democrats, and, and we're going to talk sometimes about Jesus, but this black democratic Jesus, he doesn't exist. But the white Republican Jesus, he doesn't exist either. <laughs> it's like the only Jesus that exists is the one that we find in Scripture. And you know what? If at some point, whatever our cultural milieu is, we, we fall out of lines with it, it's got to be okay. We've got to line up with our Lord and Savior Jesus, whatever the cost. Because again, we realize that he has the words of eternal life. Do you want to go away as well? How about this? Have you gone away as well? Maybe today is a call back for somebody here to the Christ of the Scripture. Maybe, I, I really, Brad, God bless you, and Richard, the job that you all have to do in this day and age, in this culture, I, I, my heart, I'm a missionary, but it's just like, I, I don't have to deal with the things that you all do on an ongoing basis, the cultural upheaval. I'm up there preach the gospel, minister to me. Don't have all this cultural upheaval because of the gospel and, 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 and racial stuff. God bless you all. God bless you all. But the question for believers here in the United States in the time in which we live, again, do you want to go away as well? And again, today might be a call back to somebody here this morning to the God of the scripture. You might realize, Lord Jesus, I've gotten somehow my faith and the headlines all intertwined 
Lord, extricate me from that. Maybe you need to pray that. Jesus, extricate me from any and everything that is not to the glory of your name, to any and everything, Lord, that I cannot find just supported in your word. Lord Jesus, help me to attach myself more than ever to you and you alone. I won't ask you to, I won't ask you to raise your hand this morning, but if you're here this morning, you can pray that prayer right now. Lord Jesus, draw me nearer. Draw me nearer. Last time I asked this question that Jesus asked again, do you want to go away as well? I hope that you can firmly say no, that you can say, Lord Jesus, I'll go, by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to walk with you. Whatever it is that you require of me, Lord Jesus, if it's my finances, they're yours. Lord, if it's family, that's yours. Lord, if it's social standing, you can have it. I need you, Jesus, and I want to be attached to you more than anything. I'm going to sing a little hymn here as we close. Just one stanza. It's one of my favorite hymns. You can sing with me. You can make it a prayer of yours. It's a prayer of mine if you like as well. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side oh draw me nearer nearer blessed lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me nearer nearer blessed lord to thy precious bleeding side Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning, and we confess that without you, we could do nothing apart from you, uh, we are nothing. And Lord Jesus, we just want you to strip out of our lives in this day and age when it's so necessary, when so many things are calling for our attention, when the enemy is so busy, Lord, to create division in the body of Christ. Lord, we need you to take out those things that, that are marring our witness for you, Lord God. We don't want any compromise. We don't want anything in our life, Lord, at, that is not going to give glory and honor to you Lord, as you are presented in the scriptures. Now, Lord, give us discernment, Lord. Give us discernment to understand who you are. And Lord, when we hear different voices speaking, Lord, help us to, to, to be able to distinguish between those voices that come to us, Lord, on the internet, wherever, that they're compromised. Lord, we just want to be true to you in this day and age. We want your name to be glorified here in this Gainesville area. And Lord, my prayer for the chapel is that you would use this church, Lord, in a special way. Lord, that they can maintain 
faithfulness to the gospel. Lord, yes, to the essentials of the faith, but Lord, to walking it out in a way that will truly speak, Lord God, uh, to the nature of transformation uh, that the new birth brings, Lord God. This is the need of the hour, Lord, walking out the truth in every area of our life, filled with love for the body of Christ Jesus. Let this church be a shining example in this community with so many churches, but let the light shine brightly here, Lord God, in the hearts of every member, Lord God, uh, testifying that you are Lord. And uh, Lord Jesus, that is my prayer. Pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name for your glory. Amen.